You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. It's a privilege to uh, be with you this morning. It's a privilege to participate in your service, in your members meeting, and to uh, celebrate your amazing history. Um, so when I came this morning, Stuart brought me to the front, sat me down, and I faced the front and sang, and then I stood up, came up onto the platform, turned around, here you all are. Uh, where were you when we started? It's good that you've come, and it's good to be together this morning, and it's good to celebrate. And where were you all 30 years ago, when this church was just a thought, just a dream in the hearts of a few people? And here we are this morning, in strength, serving the Lord, um, waiting for the next amazing 30 years as he leads. We did a little research uh, on just kind of those early days. It, uh, this church was planted about eight years before I arrived in Australia. And uh, we learned that the, uh, our, our senior pastor at New Hope, Jack, had just returned from long service leave. Uh, he, was, um, uh, he discovered that he was unwell. He had, he had cancer. And uh, eventually that cancer would take him uh, to be with the Lord. But there was a season where he battled with cancer and then there was a, a resurgence of health. And Jack committed himself, uh, as if he weren't already committed, this passionate man, uh, to, to do more to advance the gospel. And it was out of that season that this, this vision of we need to plant we need to, to, to do something uh, in, in growth regions of the, of the city and to, to reach out and to establish something new. And so Eltham Baptist Church was planted. Uh, they did some survey work to see how many Baptists were in the area. They gathered up a few people, and, and I, I, I think there was just a handful at the beginning. And Rod Pell was one of the young men from New Hope who came along and gave some leadership for a short season. And then Chris Pittendry came along, and he was involved for a little while. Someone over here is nodding, checking all my facts. It's really good. And, and, and then uh, eventually, I think you had uh, David Chatelia, who came as uh, pastor. And he's a good friend of mine as well. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful journey. So here we all are, and isn't it wonderful and exciting? I want to talk to you this morning about being an inclusive community, about being radically inclusive, about the gospel and what it invites us to be and to do. I want you to imagine for a moment that you've arrived at a gathering. Maybe it's a birthday party. Maybe it's a family gathering. Maybe it's just a friendship group, but it is an awesome gathering. It is the kind of gathering that we all want to go to. You arrive... And right from the first moment, things are smooth, you know? You see someone standing there, and you think to yourself, all right, are we going to kiss? Yes, we are. And we kiss, and it's all smooth. You ever go to a gathering, are we going to kiss? Yes, we are. No, we aren't. Yes, oh, no, yeah, shake, no. Oh, my goodness, that was awkward. And you walk away. <laughs> but not at this gathering. At this gathering, it's smooth. You know, you know the handshake, slap, slide, shake, bump, and it happens smooth every time because it's just one of those gatherings and then you go inside and the food is is your kind of food and everybody is enjoying together and then the conversations that start to happen are just so well they're they're comfortable and they're engaging and they're robust but at no point do you feel like the fool at no point do you feel like Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I saw how she reacted. That was terrible. It's just, it's just one of those gatherings. And then as you're, as you're kind of finishing up and you're saying goodnight to everybody and you're, you're driving away, 
you've got that warm, wonderful sense of that was a great gathering. I want to do that again. That is what God wants for everyone in this city, in this nation, in the whole of his creation. That is God's heart for every human being, that we would front up someplace and the welcome would be wonderful and the experience would be deep and the journey would be rewarding. That is God's heart for everyone who lives in your street, for everyone who shares your surname, for everyone who is in a business relationship, an educational environment, a political or economic relationship with you somewhere in the network. That is God's desire for everyone. It's called the church. It is what he invites us to be. It's called community. It's called the gospel at work in and through the followers of Jesus. I want to read you a story from the, from the uh, book of Acts. It's in chap at chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can turn it up. It's a, it's a wonderful, confronting, challenging, beautiful story. Like most of God's word, it encourages us while it confronts and challenges us. It stirs us while it opens our hearts uh, and, and to new things and comforts us with, with truth. This is, a, this is a story in which Peter is learning and growing. A Roman centurion... A, 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 uh, an outsider to Ju Judaism is learning and growing, and the body is shaping and challenging and becoming radically inclusive. Inclusion is not that hard, if by that we mean, let's get more people who think like I think. Let's get more people who like what I like. Let's get more people who already know the handshake, slap, slide, shake, bump and get them to be a part of our group. That kind of inclusion is easy. What is hard, and therefore radical, is to create community where people are not like us. To welcome into our circles, into our small groups, into our relationships, into our hospitality as we follow Jesus, those who are not in in the community already, those who, those who are far from God. Because there's a lot of people in this neighborhood right now who would love to come to a party like the one I described. They'd love to be in a gathering where they are known and loved and cared for and accepted and, and, and find their place. And the church is a community. The followers of Jesus are a people called to, called to foster such experience in our world. Well, let me read to you from the uh, book of Acts, chapter 10. And this is a story in three parts. I'm only going to read the first two parts, or bits thereof, and then, and then reference the third part. The three movements are God works in Cornelius' life, then God works in Peter's life, then Peter and Cornelius get together in Cornelius' house with a whole lot of other people, and God works in their midst to stir up some amazing possibilities. Possibilities for Eltham Baptist, possibilities for the whole of Melbourne, possibilities for the whole world. Acts chapter 10, verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. 
He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Let me interrupt myself. Two important things about him. He was a Roman soldier who oversaw a hundred men posted in Caesarea. A pretty nice posting, by the way. Caesarea is to Jerusalem what Queensland is to Victoria. <laughs> Caesarea was, uh, you know, the beach side. It was a nice place to be posted and an important place because it was a trade route. And this is how the, the food came into the region. It needed to be calm and it needed to be, you know, no, no rebel uprisings here. So they put a detachment of a hundred soldiers there to keep the peace. And the bloke who leads the lot of them, a Roman, a military man, he's done his training, he's taken his allegiance to the emperor, to the emperor and the empire, is also searching for God. He's a God-fearer. There are lots of gods in his life, as, as, as with any Roman soldier. But he has encountered the God of the Hebrew people. And he is searching for this God, fears this God, is trying to discern his ways. He gives to the poor. He makes prayers to this God. And he is seeking. So what happens next is very exciting. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius st uh, stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was, on one of his, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. That's part one of the story. This God-fearing man who doesn't, he's not, a, he's not a Hebrew, he's not a Jew, he's not in the family of faith, he's a Roman soldier who is searching, who has a, a deep sense that there is more to life, that there is purpose, that there is meaning. What's the value being a soldier of a hundred men protecting a trade route if that's all there is to life? Surely there's more. We need to take care of the poor. We need to, we need to call out to God. Can you see how he's on this amazing right track? But he's not an insider and by all means he is not invited to the party as we will Or is he? Or is he? Let's read on. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So let me interrupt myself. The first story happened in Caesarea. The second story is happening in Joppa. It's a whole day's walk between the two cities. Uh, Cornelius was in Caesarea. Peter is in Joppa. And he has gone to the roof to pray while somebody else is making his lunch. And while he is praying, something happens. He became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four, four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, 
What he saw in that sheet lowered down from heaven was a whole lot of stuff that the Jewish law told him never to touch, never to eat. There was a lot of things that were excluded from the Jewish diet. The simplest way to understand, the book of Levitic Leviticus makes lists of all of this, is to flip it around. What you can eat is, is it anything where the animal chews its cud or it has a cloven hoof. So check those two things, then cook your lunch, okay? But here's a sheet in a trance that comes down out of the heavens and it has within it all of this forbidden food. And a voice says, have yourself a feast, Peter. Make yourself some lunch. Well, Peter replies, verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate. Go with them, for I have sent them. And they gather up Peter, who brings a few of his friends with him, and they head back to Joppa, and some amazing stuff happens in Joppa, which I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. This is a story uh, that culminates in radical inclusion. It is a story that is quite confronting for us because it's a story about change. It's a story about God at work in people's lives. It's a story about growing convictions and understanding the heart of God and coming closer to him and becoming new and dynamic communities of witness in the world. This must have been confronting for Peter, yeah? He's been a faithful follower of God. He has understood the vision of Israel and leaned into it. And he has understood that he, ne he needs to not do certain things so that God's you know, purposes can be manifest. The Jews had a wonderful vision. They had a wonderful calling. They were meant to be God's called out people equipped with a law, with a wisdom, with a way to live from God, that if they would live in that, in that wisdom, their lives would be a model and an invitation to others around them. And as they lived out that law and lived out that relationship with God, as they loved God with all their hearts and minds and souls and loved their neighbors as themselves, they would be a blessing from God, they would receive a blessing from God and be a blessing to the world. And, and the, the Old Testament is filled with the witness to this. Book of Zechariah, chapter 8, gives an extended reflection on how this was meant to work. And as they would live out that promise, the nations would say to one another, I'm going down to Jerusalem. You're going to come with me? Because it's awesome there. They're doing amazing things. They understand peace. They live out justice. They know healing. They know grace. They know mercy. They know life 
in all of its abundance. And, and, and then it ends with this beautiful image that every rabbi will have 10 Gentiles clinging to his robe, wanting in. That's the picture of this party, of this gathering, of this welcome. Cornelius is one of those Gentiles. He's looking for a rabbi. He's looking for a robe, He's looking for something to take a hold of and be ushered in. Your neighbors are in that category. They are looking for something to take hold of. People who criticize and complain and, and, and rebel against the church and against God and against Jesus' ways want to be at this party. They do. And our, our task as the witnesses of Jesus' gospel and the followers of God's purpose in the world is to make it possible, to make, to make this, this, this story of hope heard and known and to make the welcome of our communities real. So, God turns up in a dream to Peter and says, Peter, I know you've been a great Jew, never eating any unclean food, but I need you to go with Cornelius and have a ham sandwich. I need you to lean into his world because I'm going to redeem, call into our community, Gentiles. And everyone needs to change in this story. So radical inclusion, that's what we're called to, that's what the church is called to. Let me say just a moment what it is not and then what it is. Radical inclusion, what is, what is it not? Well, it's not tolerance. Tolerance is such a big cultural word. Radical inclusion is so much more than tolerance. Tolerance is an okay, okay place to start, but tolerance, so valued by our culture. Is there an idea, is there a, a concept more toted in these days than tolerance? We need to be tolerant. Well, think about tolerance for a little bit. Tolerance says, I must not judge you, and I must accept you as you are. That's what tolerance says. Tolerance says, I must, I must not judge you, and I must accept you. But tolerance doesn't go far enough. Tolerance says, I must accept you, but I don't have to like you. I don't have to befriend you. I need not to judge you and not to, not to critique you or your way of, of, of living. But I don't need to put up with your stuff in my backyard. Tolerance says you can do whatever you want in your house. But by golly, if you build a third story and it blocks my son, I'm coming after you. Because tolerance says I will tolerate you as long as you don't interfere with my space, my rights, my ways. Now, radical inclusion is so much more, so challenging, such a big idea that God has for his people, his church, the followers of Jesus, his work in the world. Tolerance is not a bad place to start, but it's no place to finish. Tolerance is not a bad way to begin on the journey, but if Peter tolerated Cornelius and Cornelius tolerated Peter, there'd be no Acts chapter 10. Something more is required. And think about it. Do you want to be tolerated? Do you want to drive down your street knowing my neighbors tolerate me? <laughs> is that enough for you? 
Do you want to go to work and sit at your desk and think they tolerate me? That's, that's nobody's party. That's nobody's, that's nobody's welcome. That's not God's vision for the world. God's vision is this radical inclusion. You want to go to the family lunch, sit there and think, well, they tolerate me. Of course not. We want to know that we are loved and that we are listened to and understood and welcomed. And so this is the radical inclusion that is going to require so much of us. So if radical inclusion is not tolerance, what is it then? Well, it's hard work. That's what it is. It is really hard work. It is self-investing work. It is, it is work that will require so much of us. It's slow work. Doesn't happen in a second. You can tolerate in an instant, yeah? All you have to do is just decide your problems are not mine. I won't judge you. I won't, I won't interfere with you. I'll accept you. Now go away. Live in your own space. Don't get in my face. You can, you can tolerate in an instant. But inclusion, that's slow work. That is slow, hard work that requires all of us to become more like Jesus. And as we are all becoming more like Jesus, we, 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 we come closer together. And that's hard work. It's self-investing, slow, spiritual work. That's what radical inclusion is. It is self-investing work. This is not something you can outsource. Elfin Baptists cannot hire a pastor of radical inclusion. And the rest of us will go on our merry, tolerant ways. Radical inclusion requires costly investment, self-investment from all of us. It's where we actually allow God to mess with us, to engage in our worlds, to shift and shape our values, to press into who we are. And it requires something of us. It required something of Cornelius. It required something of Peter. And these guys get together now in the last move of this story, which you should go home and read. You should go home and get Acts chapter 10 out and read the whole thing right, right through. In the last move of the story, Peter fronts up at Cornelius' house, and they've had a whole day to walk and talk, right? A whole day. Cornelius had his vision. He sent his friends up to Joppa a whole day. They'd be talking, you know, chatting. We'll wonder what's going on here. Now Peter, and he brings several of his friends with him. There's a little party, half dozen people. They're walking back now to, uh, to Caesarea to visit Cornelius. They would have talked. They would have processed all this. Imagine that, Cornelius, Roman soldier inviting Peter to come and preach. And Peter would have told his story. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. I'm up on the roof, this sheep, man, oh my goodness, all this food, ham sandwich. What? I, I don't know. What, what does it all mean? You got to process you got to work. you got to think. It's slow work. It's slow work. Because you don't snap your fingers and someone else thinks the way you think. You don't just quickly have a meeting and everybody's on the same page. You have to work away at this. You see, tolerance says, I'll accept you the way you are. I will never judge you. I will now ignore you. But... Radical inclusion says, I want to be more like Jesus. And, 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 and if, 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 you, if you are seeking the same thing, well, we will push through the obstacles. 
We will push through the obstacles. We will learn. We will grow. We will develop. Because this slow work is also spiritual work. That's the beautiful thing. God is doing this work. I used to worry about radical inclusion. I used to think to myself, that's going to be hard. How do we, how do we set the boundaries and the barriers? And, and then I, I, I pressed into chapter 10 of Acts more fully. And, and it's God's spirit who is doing this work. Do you see it? Peter didn't go down to Cornelius' house and say, you guys got to shape up here. You got to change your, your... He didn't do that. God turned up before Peter even went and started to work and do this stuff. And Cornelius doesn't come and visit Peter and say, what's with you bigoted people? Come on. You need to change. That never changes anybody. Argument never changes anybody. Intellectual quagmires tend to take us deeper into the pit. And you know the problem with tolerance? It's a very short step from tolerance to intolerance. It's a very short step. But radical inclusion is self-investing, slow, spiritual work. God doesn't leave any of us just where we are. He works in us and changes us, and we become more like Christ. He puts his word in us, and that straightens us out. He puts his spirit in us, and that livens us up, and he makes us to be new creations. That's the goal, new people who engage in this phenomenal community. And we can risk welcoming others and pulling others in, knowing that God is going to do a work in them and then a work through us all. My dad lived to be 94 before he went to be with the Lord. And as he aged, he became smaller. And then he started to get bent. I shouldn't do this too much. My wife will see my, my, my father-in-law because we look a lot alike. I'll probably come and preach to you in, uh, in 50 years. And... and be, be kind of bent, because he bent right over. He bent right over. And if I could have, I would have given him new bones. If I could have, I would have, I would have given him a new internal structure so he could stand tall again. That's what God does for us. He puts his word in us, his spirit in us. It's like he rips out the central programming structure and puts a new one in. He wants to straighten our lives to his purpose and joy and mercy and grace. He wants to remake it. New creations. Isn't that an amazing thought? That's the goal. That's what we're pressing toward. And as long as you're willing to change, I'm willing to change, we're willing to learn, it is deeply spiritual work. We don't do radical inclusion by coming to individuals and saying, oh, it's all okay. We do radical inclusion by living in the spirit, by waiting for God's spirit, by inviting God's spirit to work in dramatic and powerful ways among us. We risk, we engage in all kinds of relationships. We might even get a reputation. Do you know, have you ever worried about getting a reputation? People in the community would look at you and say things about you. Jesus had a reputation. Have you ever thought about his reputation? They said, he's a glutton. Has anybody ever called you a glutton? Ever? How do you get a reputation for being a glutton? Well, you hang out at eating places all the time. He was always eating with people. They said, he's a drunkard. I, there's no evidence he was drunk a moment in his life. How do you get a, ref, a, re, how do you get a reputation for being a drunkard? You hang out with drunks. You hang out in places where there is drink. I have every confidence, and the scriptures are pretty plain. 
that Jesus did not imbibe in ways that sent him over the edge, but people gave him a reputation. Do you ever worry about getting a reputation that's savory and salty and smelly? Don't worry about that. Might actually be a sign that we're doing the right thing. Might actually be an indication that we're on the right track. Jesus had a reputation being a friend of the wrong kind of people. He's a friend of sinners. He hangs out with the worst sort. Would to God that our churches had such reputation. Would to God that we as the followers of Jesus began to be labeled in these ways. Not because the labels are true, but because radical inclusion is at work. And because we are experiencing what we are called to experience. Well, this is an amazing church with wonderful history and an incredible future. And here you are, all full up on a Sunday morning. You've got to think about what to do to make more space. Come to the members meeting. Engage in the discussion. You need to think about whether to take a new name. You know, every time in history, in, in, in the scriptures, repeatedly, when God's going to do a new thing, he, he gives somebody a new name. They came and they come to meet Peter, but, but when, they, when, when, the, when, when God speaks to him, it's, it's it, sorry, they came to meet Simon, God speaks to him, it's Peter. And he kind of has these two names. And it's fascinating to, to kind of reflect all those names in scripture. That's another sermon on its own. But uh, as, as he takes on that new identity, he becomes Peter. We took a new name, New Hope. Do you know why we took that name? Because Blackburn North Baptist Church was a great label and a great moniker but what it did was it told things to people who already knew. So Blackburn North, that told you where you were. So that was, that was a moniker to help people who weren't in Blackburn North know where we were. And, and Blackburn North Baptist Church was, was a, a, you know, a handle to kind of let other Baptists know who we were and where to find us. It's just that our ministry wasn't to people who weren't in Blackburn North. Our ministry is to people who are in Blackburn North who are already there, who already knew that they were there. And so they needed to know what we were about. We're still the Baptist church in Blackburn North. Whenever I travel interstate, I always introduce myself that way. They say, where are you from? I never use the word New Hope. Nobody cares. That's really important in our neighborhood because it helps people identify and understand. But when I travel interstate, I just say, I'm from the Baptist church in Blackburn North. Oh, Blackie North. Yeah, that's the one I'm from. Yep, absolutely. That's the one I'm from. All internal language. But when the hearts of our people turned toward the community and started to think, what do it, does our community need? They need hope. What does our community need? They need an expression of the life of Jesus. They need a, a symbol of who Jesus is and his power, an invitation to be a part of something different. They need something that will make them think and open their hearts and awaken their spirits to a, well, to a wonderful new possibility. Wouldn't you like to be at that party where the greeting and the handshake, and it's just smooth from the get-go. The food is your kind of food. The conversation is your kind of conversation. The, the warmth, the care, it's beautiful. And when you leave, you say to yourself, I was alive when I was in that gathering. God wants that for every human being. Not just on Sundays, all week long. Not just for this life, for all of eternity. It's the way he created us, the way he designed the creation, the way he set it up at the beginning. Sin has infested and invaded. Jesus has come to set us free. 
And we are the church called to gather from all the corners of the earth this wonderful, radical, inclusive community. And we are called to change until we are all like Christ and together so to worship him and praise him and give him glory forever and forever. Let's pray together. God, give us courage to follow the path of Jesus. Give us courage to be a people whose lives are marked by his values, his wisdom, his relationship with the Father, his love for others. Give us the courage, Father God, to be a people who exercise the kind of radical inclusion that our, our community so desperately needs. While we speak of tolerance, while people try to work it out and choose lesser paths while hold, holding greedily to individual selfish rights. Lord, may we be very different. May we learn to lay down our lives. May we learn to take up our crosses. May we learn to love you with all our hearts and souls and mind, all of our strength and every ounce of who we are, and then to love others the way we love ourselves. To embrace those in need, to embrace those who are far from you, to embrace those who are very different from us. To let your spirit work in us, even as your spirit is at work in them. And so to find ourselves in new and wondrous places. Lead us in your glory. Lead us in your grace. Lead us in your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.